Welcome to Disrupt Equities Apartment Investing Podcast. This podcast will offer weekly episodes equipping passive and active investors alike with the tools, knowledge, and confidence to build wealth through one of the most powerful wealth creation vehicles out there, apartments. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back, everybody. It is Money Mondays. You know what time it is? It is 3.30 Central, where we do Money Mondays every Monday, 3.30 Central. Ben and I have been traveling all last week. We're traveling all this week, but guess what? We made it back on Monday just for you Yes, we did. Just for our viewers. We love the show. We love trying to give back. What are we talking about today, my friend? Talking about how to build your exit strategy in multifamily. How to think about the exit. I think a lot of people fixate on the buy, and that's what everyone stresses about, but people forget about... The really operations do. and then also the exit. The exit is as important as the, the buy. Well, like I like to tell people, right, that's really where you make your money as an operator and as a GP, right? You know, yeah, you're gonna, you might make a little bit of an acquisition fee, but the real money is made when you increase the profitability of the asset and then ultimately hope that, you know, cap rates either stay where they're at or compress, or maybe if they don't, even if they expand, you've increased the profitability enough that obviously you're gonna make a good profit on the end, which the GP gets a portion of. Right, so it's important to think through this, folks. You know, one thing before we kind of get into this that I always tell people is when you're going to buy a deal, people get, again, so fixated on the buy and, and you know, getting the equity raise and getting the debt and getting it across the finish line. They don't realize that they just bought a 32 unit property in a tertiary market, right? You know, you think that you're getting a great deal. I bought that at an eight or nine cap. Well, guess what? That tertiary market, that 32 unit deal is probably gonna be worth an eight or nine cap on the back end too. Right, and why is that? It's because there's not gonna be a lot of people looking to buy that deal in the future either, right? So you're wanting to look in places where you have a good pool of potential buyers, so that's gonna allow you multiple exit strategies, right? That's true, or and, if at you least bought, and if you bought that deal at an eight or nine cap and you're looking to sell it for a 10 or 11 cap, you just let us know. <laughs> Which would mean that you would hopefully make probably just a little bit less money than you would have on the, on obviously if it would have been a six cap when you sold it. Sure. So, but, Point being, folks, is that not, not a lot of people are thinking about what is your avatar buyer on the back end, right? You know, I mean, we, we're trying to stick to more primary markets. Yeah, we'll still do a secondary market every once in a while, right? But the reason that we're trying to do that is because we're looking for a bigger pool of people that might buy the deal, and then that competitiveness, that demand drives the asset price up, right? Again, you're not gonna get that in secondary and tertiary markets. So keep that in mind. There's your golden nugget for, the, for this uh, show. How do you begin building that exit strategy though? What does this process look like? You know, I think you have to really sit down and evaluate the entire plan first and foremost, right? And based on your business plan, that's where you start to really reason about, can I make an exit in two years? Can I make an exit in four? We just talked about a deal today that we had offered on apparently at the end of last, we're we're in May, we offered at the end of last year, it closed like two months ago, and now they're listing it for another $20 million. I know. So apparently their business plan was about three months, you know. That was so ridiculous. (laughs) But you know, ultimately, it really depends on your business plan, folks. We're trying to upgrade 200 units, guess what, we're not gonna upgrade 200 units in three months. It's not possible, right? So you really need to sit down, evaluate what you're trying to do, and then ultimately tie it back into where you think the market's gonna be and what valuations you think you can get, right? So all these things go hand in hand together to worry, okay, hey, we have our soft target at this thing, if this doesn't pan out, we can do ABC, right? You yep. wanna have your exit strategies, you wanna sit there and kind of evaluate, and it's all numbers driven, right? We don't just, you know, maybe not B, but uh, you know, we don't just kinda <laughs> hold our finger to the air and decide, you know what, we're just gonna sell, 
right? You need to actually sit down and work through it and do it at the right point in time. At some point in time, you get to the point of diminishing returns, right? Yeah. We've talked about this in some deals where... Let's, let's, yeah. let's, let's, what do you mean by that, though? Because I think a lot of people get, oh, I'm going to hold it for 20 years or whatever, You know, right? and it's, it's a point in time where essentially you have so much money tied up into it that ultimately, it, you know, your returns are nil, right, or very low relative to the amount of money you have in it. And I shall give you a real example. We know somebody that owns a lot of houses, yep. right? His problem is he owns a house that's free and clear, right? So his actual cash on cash return is, is abysmal. Yeah. Right? But at the same time, it's hard for him to sell them all, right? And there's tax implications, all this other stuff. So that person's kind of in a bind, right? And so the, it's a point of diminishing returns. We're on a deal that, hey, we can continue to upgrade deals, but guess what? If we're already getting the rep pops, mm -hmm. and maybe you can do all that work to get that upgrade, but you're only getting a $25 increase because you already got the 100 off of yep. just the normal rent appreciations, well, then it probably doesn't make sense. So, you know, it's not a one-size-fits-all, folks, about evaluating, iterating, and then figure out what works or doesn't. But ultimately to get you to that finish line inflection point, is what I like to call it, where, hey, at this point in time, it makes sense to do a refire sell. Yeah. We got our occupancy where we need it, we got our collections where we need it, we got everything humming along, that we know we could do a refi, get the returns, the money out that yeah. we want, or we could do a sell and obviously hit the total returns. That we're so just for. to kind of, you know, uh, I guess add on to what Ferris is talking about, folks, right? You're gonna take a value add property, right? You're gonna put money into it. Let's just call it, you're gonna put $2 million into it, right? And you're gonna ride that appreciation, right? You've now increased the 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 value of the property through obviously increasing, you know, the rents and you know the amenity sets, you're gonna drive occupancy up, all those good things happen. That's why we put money into those deals, right? But after a certain amount of time, let's just take we we take a Fannie or Freddie deal, right? You know, sometimes you can get a supplemental, it's not always guaranteed, sometimes you're not even gonna get that much. Right? A supplemental in this case, folks, just for uh, newer viewers is a, is almost like a second note. That's, that's exactly what it is actually, Almost but like you know, <laughs> it is a second note. But point being is you're going to get to a point where you've already put the money in. You've already got the juice, right? And that's why people, it's not necessarily the market's been hot, but it's also because you're going to, you're going to, you're going to sit back and say, unless I somehow pull more money out or put more money back into the deal by having a capital call or whatever it might be, which nobody wants to do, I'm not going to get that additional juice. And in the, in the meantime, people are selling and transacting constantly. And maybe by that point, you're in year four, five, six. All of your neighbors have already traded two or three different times since you've held on to it. And they're way above you, right? You know, and so you're not getting, you're getting that diminishing return on that initial investment, right? And so that's typically when, when you're going to say, okay, it's time to sell. Right, you know, and now that could be very, very early on, call it 12, 18 months, or maybe in this case, which is a stupid deal, three months. Um, you know, typically that's going to be in the three to five year mark, right? You know, unless you're prepared to do some kind of a refinance or a supplemental to put more money into the deal, you're always going to have to. These deals eat money, folks. They're always constantly needing, there's deferred maintenance, there's constantly going to be upgrades because you have to keep up with the market. Right, so be keeping that in mind, right? That there's that 10 year hole that you're gonna have, probably gonna wanna sell that thing within five to seven, you know? And that's something that we always kind of keep in mind. What's the market gonna look like in five to seven years? So that's one of the questions that had come in before this, right? What is the typical hold times? Five to seven years, and again, that's just, you get to a natural progression and, and, and inflection point where you say, it's just time to sell, right? You know, now the market has been hot, so it's been more like three to five years for us. But, you know, there's anything in between is typically what we're looking at because um, it also takes a little bit of time to actually execute on your business plan too, right? You're not going to come in and update 150 units 
you know, you're one, right? Maybe you've got, you know, that much turnover, which I hope you wouldn't, or maybe you got down units, which I hope you wouldn't have 150. But if you did, maybe that'd be the only reason that you'd be able to do that because there's just not enough turnover at a property that you're gonna be able to do all of that and execute on your business plan and then raise rents in one year. It's typically a two to three year process. Then you're at, okay, stabilization. Then you decide, hey, what is it? Do we sell? Do we keep it? Do we ride it out? What do we wanna do, right? All right, so moving along. Is there a chance you sell earlier or later than the projected? And what is the deciding factor? I think we just went over that, right? I think the answer is it's everything is always in flux. It's opportunistic. You got to be opportunistic. Yeah, I mean, everything's cyclical, folks. So you cannot, if you're vetting, if you're investing with someone who is basically one size fits all, and this is a strategy, this is the only strategy, and nothing else but the strategy, that's a problem. Yeah, you got to be opportunistic, right? Sometimes the market's going to get hot. Sometimes the market's going to slow down, right? You know, you need to be in a position to say, okay, hey, based on what I'm seeing in the market, I'm going to pivot and this is what we're going to do, right? You know, and that could be sell or that could maybe be holding on, right? You say, oh, well, originally it was a three-year hold, but, you know, the market's a little slow. I'm not going to get the pricing that I want. So we're going to hold on to it for another year. Don't feel bad about that, folks. You need to be able to pivot and adjust uh, according to the market cycles, right? Um, you know, so what conditions are you underwriting on the exit, right? You know, I mean, we've talked about this many a times on, our, on the show in the past, right? We typically always underwrite it 15 to 20 basis points per year per hold based on the stabilized cap rate going in. So what do I mean by that? I'm gonna, I'm gonna break it down, right? If I'm buying it and the stabilized cap rate here in Houston for a class B property is, let's just call it four and a half right, which is probably about right, maybe 4.75, right, but we're gonna call it four and a half just to keep the numbers easy, right? You know, then I'm gonna say, I'm gonna increase it 20 basis points for every uh, year that I hold on to it. I'm gonna hold it for five years. That means that my exit cap, the value that I would sell it on the back end would be 5.5, right? Now people are gonna say, "Well, well, well, but you know, maybe cap rates aren't really four and a half right now, maybe they're four. Right, I'm basing it off of the stabilized, what I feel the cap rate should be, regardless of how hot the market is, right? And, and, and sometimes when you're buying it, the going in cap rate's a little bit skewed. Maybe it's not running to an optimal you know, uh, degree. There's something off, there's down units. There's just something that's not working, so the cap rate's lower artificially. So you gotta say, okay, in that case, it's not really a three and a half cap, really that market's four and a half, and then I'm basing it off of that. Right, you know, so that's how we, that's, those are the assumptions that we're making that cap rates are going to expand at some point in the future. And, you know, we're typically doing that 15 to 20 basis points per year hold, right? You know, um, how do you minimize capital gains? Oof. So we've been, we obviously had a lot of those questions last year because we sold. an investor that asked us that today. Well, how many deals have we, what, we sold six, seven deals last six year? Six deals last year and then one at the beginning of this year, so. Yeah, and then we're, we're selling another one too. So, you know, this has been something that, you know, we have constantly talked about. You know, we know other, some people's strategies, obviously 1031s, 1031s. which within syndications you can do. They are obviously a lot of paperwork. There is a lot of coordination. It takes some time to, to set up. So don't, don't get caught up in the fact that you can't do it. I'm just gonna tell you it's not easy, right? Um, you know, but it also depends on where you're at, right? Are you an LP or are you a GP, right? You know, if you're an LP, right, what you're trying to do is you're trying to reinvest the, those gains into something that's gonna have losses, 
right? And same thing that we do on the GP side, right? You know, is that instead of taking a 1031 strategy, we're just essentially buying deals. Obviously they're underwritten, they're great, great looking assets. And then we're taking the depreciation and the cost seg from year one, right? And that's offsetting the capital gains that's happened that year. Now, we always we always encourage our investors to redeploy their money as quickly as possible so they can do that too. But it's funny, every fourth quarter, we get, <laughs> we get all these people. Or Q1, which is a little uh, bit too late. Yeah, or people that forgot about it and they're like, hey, I wanna try to get money in. But they're, they're, they're coming to us because they wanna invest in their deals. Why do they wanna do that? Is because they want those losses. Right, they've come off of a capital gain situation, and this is, you know, obviously, you know, capital gains in, in, in any kind of real estate, really, right? You know, and they're trying to offset that with the depreciation, and the cost segregation. If you don't know about those concepts, we're not going to spend time on it. Look them up. There's a lot of good information. We use Madison Specs for our cost segregation studies. They're great guys over there and girls. Um, you know, but that's how we minimize the capital gains that we have to pay taxes on, right? Everybody's tax situation is different, though, folks. So check with your CPA. Check with your lawyer. I am not a financial advisor, so don't take that as professional advice, right? So how soon after the sale do investors' distributions occur? What is the distribution process and timing upon sale? All right, this is a good question because this has obviously come up over the last 12 months since we've been selling deals. There's a wind down process, right? So when we go and sell deals, it's not like, oh, we've got a million dollars in the bank and we're gonna distribute all that million dollars the first week, right? There's accounts payable, there's things that need to be reconciled. There is obviously insurance refunds that have to come in. There's utilities that have to be paid, you know, and there's utility deposits that might you might get back, right? There's reconciliation on a, a, across the board. That takes time. Typically how we do it is in three tranches, right? We're gonna give your initial invested capital back. And, and this all, is what we do, right? This There's is no what we do. thumb or anything like that. Yeah, and people do it all kinds of different ways, right? You know, just after selling, I think 12 deals at this point, this is how we're gonna do it, right? You know, we're giving the invested capital back plus the preferred return, right? Then the second, you know, call it distribution, is gonna be the big one, right? Where there, the bulk of the money is gonna be done. And that first one is done probably within two weeks. The second one is done typically within two months. And then there's gonna be a third one, typically a little bit smaller than the second one, where all of the reconciliation, all of the wind down has been done, all of the tax prep has been done, right? And it's gonna be your final K1, and that's typically within six months of when we sold, right? So it's gonna come in three different tranches, typically from two weeks all the way up to six months, right? And that's typically how we do it. Again, like Ferris had mentioned, People do it differently. We're open to suggestions on doing it better, but we found that this is probably the best way to do it just based on the realities of the wind down process. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that's typically how we do it. And uh, people have appreciated that. And you just obviously gotta be, you gotta set the right expectations whenever you're going into the sale, that this is what it's gonna be and this is how long it's gonna take, right? So all part of the exit, the exit's a great thing, you know, and I would say the one other point here that I wanna mention. If you if you figured it out that hey I want to sell, there's also a let's get the asset ready to sell process too, right? That's let's throw on some you know some good landscaping. Let's maybe paint a few things. Let's go around and polish up the asset. Let's make sure that we're that our financials are all straight and good and looking great, right? There's a process to all of that, and that's also just to put your best foot forward when you go to market for something. Right, and the broker is going to tell you the same thing. It's just like you're trying to sell your house. So the broker comes by, or the real estate agent comes by and says, "Oh, you need to clean this out and rearrange that, and we need to stage this over here." It's the same process, just on yeah. a bigger level. 
right? So that's something that you need to be worked in. I think a lot of guys don't do that. No, they don't. A lot of guys just kind of stumble into it. Yeah, and it's it's, it's a process. Talk to your property management company, folks. Well, that and and talk to the broker. Brokers are going to have some good ideas, too, right? They're going to say, don't worry about painting. You know, the next guy's going to do that, but definitely fix this, this, and this. Right there is there is an art to setting the right you know I guess putting your best foot forward is what I'm trying to say, so something to keep into consideration when you're going to sell your deal, right? You want to get maximum dollars when you go to sell. That's when the the GP makes their money, not on the front end, it's on the back end. So, man, I got through that pretty quick. Exactly. Open Q and A. What do we got? What do we got? So Trevor says, Happy Monday, Ben Ferris. Thank you for always Thanks, sharing your info. You bet. Thanks for all your support. Yeah, man. Yeah, for sure. Let's see if anyone has any comments, questions. Please leave them. We will everybody them knows how to exit their deals. Wow. Uh, most people right. are still worried about buying, Ben. <laughs> Focus on the buy. Sale comes later. But it is really it's important. And you know the other thing too, I'll add that we kind of didn't talk about is, you know, if you're an operator, right, timing your exits is critical because not only can you get your investors excited to pump for the next deal, right? You build your track record. You know, and you make an exit. Some people are really about not making an exit, and they miss the wave of the market, right? You know, some people are just, you know, as operators, they just want to milk it for fees and don't want to exit. They just want to keep bringing in the asset management fees or whatever small fees yeah, that are coming yeah, in. It's, it's and really, pitties, I think, you yeah. know, for us, it's short-sighted. It's better to keep your investors happy, maximize returns onto the next one. Yeah, I mean, I think it's all about cycling money, too. I think people need to realize that, right? You know, I mean, from, from our perspective, it's all about getting, you know, getting some points up on the board and, and recycling investors' money and getting them some some returns and then allowing them to continue to, to build their wealth, you know, over time, right? And so, yeah, you can't be short-sighted on both sides, right? You can't hold out just because you're, you're wanting to, you know, extract some more fees on an asset management fee or you, you know, you're, again, you're trying to, you know, be smarter than the market, right? The writing is on the wall, you know. Uh, things probably are going to slow down a little bit, but at the end of the day, right, positioning your exit is, you know, something that you should be planning out three to six months ahead of time. And, you know, obviously working with your broker, working with your property management company and, and doing it the right way. All right, so, so we got other comments. As a, the design of a strategy depends on the goals of the company, but also is necessary local advisory to define the correct strategy. Can you help me get in contact with expert advisors in real estate? I think that that's, you know, the, the expert advisors in real estate, depending on the market, you're going to be your property management companies, right? They're going to be able to tell you about the markets and the brokers will tell you to an extent, you know, how active the market is, how many people are trading, where cap rates at. So if you talk to the brokers in those markets, you talk to property management companies in those markets, you're going to get a good feel for the market itself. How transactional is it? Because there's going to be some markets that are very liquid that people are always buying and selling. And then there's going to be other markets that are a little bit slower. Right. You know, and so and it's typically follows just how popular that market is. Right. So you can you can get a sense of how good the market is, depending on how many transactions are happening right then and there. Right. You know, but uh, good question. You know, but check to check with your property management company, check with the brokers. All right. We got another question. Did you have anything tips for a first time investor looking to house hack a multifamily? You know, I think multifamily, well, Brandon Turner's got some good books on this, right? Yeah. You know, I think, you know, check check out his stuff, his earlier stuff. You know, I think he did a master lease and some other kind of cool things, right? Typically, when you're talking about 100, 200, 300 unit properties, there's just not really any way that you can do that. It's a, it's a commercial transaction. It's a business transaction. Um, you're not going to be able to do that. Now, you know, there's stuff to be said like, hey, you want to get a quad or, you know, get, you know, triplex, something like that, where you're going to live in one and you're going to be able to rent out the other two. People do that all the time. It just depends on your market, too. There's not a lot of that stuff down here. 
um, you know, here in Texas. Obviously, it's bigger, so they build this stuff bigger. But I know on the Northeast and some other pockets that there's a lot of, you know, fourplexes and triplexes. So look into that. Right. You know, uh, get yourself a, you know, maybe an FHA loan or a VA loan, depending on your situation. See if you can get in for as little money as possible. And the whole business model would be to rent out the other units and have them pay for your mortgage. Right now, again, the one downside of that is that you're the landlord and you're living right next to your tenants. So take that into consideration. But you don't but, let them know you're the landlord. That's the real truth. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, there's probably ways that you can mask that a little bit, you know, but, you know, at the end of the day, that's, there's still a concern. Right, uh, so take that into consideration. But the benefit, I would say, probably far out see, outweighs the that concern. But uh, it's a good question. All right. Otherwise, oh, Amanda asks: Do you generally assign or hold on to a portion of your capex budget to the sale process up front? The sale process. I mean, typically, I mean, we've got reserves and we've got capex. So, so yeah, I mean, I don't know what. Man, what do you mean by a sign, right? But typically, I mean, cash is cash, star cash. It doesn't go to the next buyer, right, first and foremost. Mm. Um, I would also say that there's always a contingency. So there's, sometimes there's a little bit of money that, hey, you get in, you buy the thing, and then you've got oh, to reallocate. I know what she's saying. Is that what it she's is? She's saying at the beginning, whenever you're planning the CapEx budget, do you keep 500000 on the sideline knowing you're going to beautify the property right before the sale? Oh. Uh, that's what I think, I think we're saying. You know, I mean. You could. You could. You absolutely could, uh, right? We you don't know really I mean? go to that level of detail. Typically, we try to keep the property looking good. And then, you know, once you're at the finish line, you're spending another hundred k, right? You don't need to have this overly complex budgeted capex. Yeah, you I mean, if you're, if, if, you're spending more than, if you're spending more than 100K on the exit, then then the property's probably yeah. in, in, yeah, in, so in okay, a tough that, spot. Yeah, that, so that's what she was trying yeah, to say. Yeah, so, but yeah, no, you absolutely can do that. Um, you know, typically it just depends on how long your hold time is. Are you gonna you get to hold back 100K for five to seven years? Yeah, I'll say this, if we're flipping Maybe. a property, we know it's gonna be a one or two year, yeah, up front, we oh, probably, probably do that. We would plan, hey, we no. know we're gonna do, because everything we're doing is to get it pretty for that two-year yeah. mark, right? That's the pop, But if we're right? holding a deal for seven years, right, typically it's okay, let's make it attractive for tenants now, yeah. then in seven years evaluate where we are and what we need to cure. Yeah, so, but that's, uh, that's a great question. But yeah, no, I, I, again, it just depends on the whole time, I think, you know. Yeah. All right, is that it? No more questions? Keep going. All right, we're gonna get into this, oh my gosh, the Sunbelt Diversified Portfolio. Come check it out interestform.disruptequity.com slash sunbelt. This is a diversified portfolio of three different properties, Austin, Daytona, and Atlanta. We're really, really excited to roll this out. Check it out. Great returns, good diversification, and very high growth markets. The Sunbelt Diversified Portfolio. We're excited. We're, we're, we're about 60% raised plus. So yeah. we're rock and rolling, and I think that'll close out hopefully in the next couple of days. Yeah, yeah. So definitely filling up fast. Check it out at that link. We'll drop it into the comments as well. But can't do a Money Monday without talking about MFN. Oh, my gosh. The Multifamily Investor Network. And we're doing it in Seattle. Seattle. Oh, Seattle, Seattle. my friend. And that is July 23rd. Great time of the year to get out there. We're really, really excited about that. We're going to have some great keynotes, some great panelists that we're going to be announcing here in the, the coming weeks. Tickets are already being sold, you know, we're, so get in there, check it out, www.mfinvestornetwork.com. Put in Disrupt for your coupon code, get $100 off, prices rise. We'll go up every week on the Next week, week until we oh reach a million dollars. Oh my gosh. 
Well, they're not gonna. They're not gonna get that expensive. Yeah, you know, hey, we you still give you a nine hundred ninety-nine thousand dollar nine or five hundred. Well, you know, we'll give you a lot of money off if it was ever that one. But check that out. We're really excited about it. it should have three or four hundred people there. I'm assuming, yeah. you know, and it's a great time of the year to be in Seattle, right? So what's coming up next, my friend? I don't what know are we talking if you're about? Overpaying for a multifamily property in 2022, and if you guys figure that out, you just let us know. No, nobody's got a crystal ball, but there are some indicators, some things to think about as you're buying, right? And, you know, you want to always not, you know, you can't time the market, but you want to always feel like you've got a good deal, right? And, you know, relative Absolutely. to everybody else, you're getting a discount and you have that upside. So we'll talk about that next week and that'll keep us busy. All right. See you guys then for another Money Mondays. Thank you all. We hope you enjoyed today's episode on Disrupt Equities Apartment Investing Podcast. We have some really great episodes coming up, so make sure to subscribe to the podcast. For those interested in passively investing in cash-flowing multifamily properties, visit disruptequity.com invest. Fill out your information there, and you will get notified when we release our next multifamily passive investment offering.